Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and I'm joined yet again by, firstly, Dan Lambert. Dan, welcome. Hello, how are you? All good. And also joining us for the first time in a couple of weeks is Micah Chudley. Micah, welcome back. Hello, hello. How are you doing? All good. Um, so Saturday was quite depressing. Um, at least the football was, pubs weren't that bad. So we'll take a deep dive and a full debrief into exactly what went wrong against Fulham. And then we'll change our focus to a much more enjoyable match, which was last night's encounter with Blackburn. Uh, before briefly looking at the upcoming match this weekend against Peterborough and then the cup tie against Sunderland next Tuesday. Um, so, you know, take a deep breath, pour yourself a large drink, do whatever you need to do because we're going to relive Fulham again. Um, I assume you guys were watching it on the TV. You know, that was crap to put. No, I find a point on it. What was your thoughts? Um, yeah, yeah, just yeah, that's that's how to simplify. I mean, we were pretty much poor from start to finish, apart from a, a brief, brief spell in the second half. But um, yeah, it was generally it's pretty our worst performance of the season so far. So it wasn't wasn't a good watch. Yeah, absolutely. Micah, what do you think? Yeah, um, definitely our worst performance of the season. Probably our worst performance since about November, December last year, to be honest. Actually, no, Rotherham. Rotherham in about March, April was awful. But yeah, I could, from about minute, from kickoff, honestly, from kickoff right to Mitrovic's goal, I was just, I could just tell which way the game was going. I just thought, oh my God, we just couldn't get the ball down. We couldn't string two passes together. We were just completely giving them all the time in the world. It was just it was a terrible, terrible performance, to be honest. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Micah, because that is links into the next point I was going to make and links back to what Dan was saying last week on the podcast. Dan, you mentioned quite a bit about something that John Eustace had said in his um, interview prior to the match, about imposing ourselves and imposing our style on the game. That never really happened, did it? Um, it probably happened defensively, but not not from an attacking point of view, not on the ball. When you say we defensive right. style, do you mean like... Yeah, I usually... Self-apostle, yeah. you know, destructive... Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that, that basically. But um, no, we didn't really look like we wanted the ball. We were sitting quite deep, so there wasn't really any chance to get up to Austin didn't really have much service and he's not really someone that you can play off and and start start build-ups from there so no we, we we certainly didn't impose our style on them and we were second best for the majority of the game yeah uh Mike you mentioned the first goal uh, from the away end I had a pretty good view of what went wrong but just talk us through exactly you know what was so disastrous about that first goal that we conceded well, before anything else, I think you've got to hand it to Mitrovic. The guy, whatever, say whatever you want about his record at Premier League level, the guy at Championship level, he's just a bagsman. He's a goal scorer. He's going to get you 20-plus goals a season. And to be fair, as much as we completely sort of didn't get out to stop the cross and as much as we like sort of just left him in the box to sort of chest it down and finish it, still a very, very difficult finish for him to pull that off. So you have to give your props to Mitrovic there. But at the same time, I just remember thinking like, I think it was, was it Dickie, I think, was marking him for, for that cross? It might have been Dickie. I just remember thinking, you just can't give him can't give him time and space there. You cannot give him time and space in the box. He will punish you. And he did. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's just, it's just, it's just kind of like schoolboy errors at the back. Sometimes it feels like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's been a common theme all season. That first goal just like epitomised it because you can't get away with that against teams like Fulham and against a player like Mitrovic. So, yeah, yeah, spot on. I think in his post-match review, I guess you could call it, Clive Whitham called Mitrovic a cheat code for the championship, and that's absolutely what's happening 
at the moment. Um, you know, like I said, I had a pretty good view of it. Dicky was that was the Dicky that we saw against Barnsley last year away when he got himself sent off for grabbing in the box. That's what he tried to do. It wasn't good defending at all. He tried to hold on to Mitrovic and grab his arm and didn't really challenge him for the ball and just let him, you know, like Mike said, it's still a difficult uh, finish and stuff like that. But, you know, you've got to at least challenge for the ball when that comes into the box. You could talk about stopping the cross as well, but I think, you know, we're not going to stop everything. And, you know, clearly we weren't really bothered about it, but that's what I was really annoyed about because it's just a stupid thing to do, isn't it? Like if you're going to actually try and defend, then you go up trying to win that header. You don't grab onto a player with as much experience and much fond like Mitrovic is so fond of get throwing himself to the ground and getting other players booked, getting penalties, whatever. So even if you manage to put him off and not score, he's going to obviously go down, but we gave him enough space and he managed to score anyway. So it was just a proper stupid thing from Dickie to do, to be honest. Like not, that wasn't ending well in uh, any sense. Um, so, you know, after that point, we didn't really impose, we obviously covered the fact that we didn't impose ourselves and we just sort of lost it more from there. Um, regardless of our performance, and I know this wouldn't change it much, but the referee was pretty poor as well, wasn't he, Dan? He was. I think there was, um, was there an Odebazro foul? I can't remember off the top of my head. There was, um, that I remember my brother saying that um, that could have gone our way. Yeah, it didn't. There was 50-50 challenges. Um, I mean, some of them were fouls. I thought, I think Johansson got, um, did his typical um, shithousery and got, got a booking and, I started hugging all the Fulham players after every foul, but yeah, the the ref was poor. I think the full the uh, Johansson one was annoying because he was fouled or Dumble or someone was fouled just before that, and then Johansson goes over and wipes out the player. And possibly yes, it's a yellow card, but the fact is that our player was fouled first just seconds before. So why wasn't he given a yellow card for that? Why weren't we given a foul? But like I said. You can't blame that defeat, and I'm not blaming that defeat on the referee, but it, you can't hide the fact that he was very poor. 12 fouls were committed by us, resulting in four yellow cards, and nine were committed by Fulham, resulting in zero. So, that when you, you know, that's not uh, like we were 20 fouls playing like Preston or whatever. It was a similar amount of fouls, and they didn't get a yellow, single yellow card throughout the whole game. They played the ref perfectly, and that's why they'll probably end up going up as well because they can—they're nasty in that sense. We're too soft still, um, and it really, really did show, as it has shown in the past against Fulham and Brentford and other teams that are just a little bit more smart than us. Um, looking at half time, you know, we were probably lucky to go in at two nil. Uh, sorry, 1-0, Lucky not to go in at 2-0. Senny made a pretty decent save, not that he would know much about it. Um, and then there was a sub at half-time. Michael, your thoughts on Dykes on for ball? Do you think that was the right move? Um, at the time, I just remember feeling like, let's just do something. Let's do something different because it was, it was so bad. Um, I suppose in the end, you have to say it was the right move, don't you? Because um, obviously Dykes has gone and scored. But um, I'm, I'm not too, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that was the best thing for the balance of the team, necessarily. Um, I could be wrong. I honestly only watched the game once. I don't need to see it again, and I turned it off after three-one, so I can't tell you about the fourth goal. But I I do remember just thinking, I don't know. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know. I can't answer. I can't really answer your question. I'm too depressed about that result to answer your question. But we we were briefly growing into the game after half time and before the goal. I did feel like we were growing into the game a bit. Um, I think the more telling sub for me was when I think Fulham brought on is it Robinson for Joe Bryan, yeah, at left back. I think he made quite a big difference for them. I thought he had a good game. Um, 
But to answer your question, I don't know, which is a terrible answer. But I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, in that case, then let's pass it over to Dan. Dan, what do you think about that sub? Um, I was a little surprised at the fact we went completely overkill despite being 1-0 down. I thought it would have been perhaps better to maintain some sort of balance within the side, like Micah said. I think the thing that makes it me worried was the fact that we went 1-1-1, one, 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 it worked, but then we maintained the, the going for the kill against a side that could, that has so much quality to catch you on the break. It just it felt it felt suicidal to be honest. I didn't I didn't understand why he didn't bring on Amos for for someone or whoever. The problem I have with it is that we never were in the control of the game in the first place. In he made a similar sub against Blackburn, uh, taking off Ball again um, and leaving Amos in the midfield. I completely understand that because we dominated against Blackburn and we'll cover that later on. But we weren't in control at any point, really, against Fulham. And it was a good goal. It was a quality goal. But Johansson was already struggling, wasn't quite up to pace of it and looked just, you know, didn't look like the player we had last season. And he's going through a little you know, bad patch where he's not quite be as effective as we would like him to be. Leaving him by himself in the midfield with uh, Harrison Reed and Seri boss in the game just like Dan said it felt suicidal and you know in the moment yeah Dykes coming on is the right sub he he got it right you have to have Dykes on mainly because he's our best striker and he showed that with his finish but taking off ball even if he's on the yellow card if you're going to take off ball then you've got to bring on Amos you've got to have some sort of balance in there so that we can actually go up against um, Fulham and compete ever so slightly because once they got, once they we had scored that goal, they were in complete control, and it was one way traffic. I mean, it was one way traffic the whole game. So, like, if it, subs would have had to have been absolutely outstanding to change that game, but it, it was just we, we sacrificed what little control we had basically in trying to go for it. Um, the goal. Let, let's talk about the one moment of. Brief pleasure for QPR fans. Mike, a lovely run from Willett, wasn't it? And then a brilliant finish. It's, it's just Chris Willock, isn't it? Chris Willock is what he's been doing all season. It's an excellent run. The ball is brilliant. And obviously Dykes is just growing and growing in confidence every game. He's turning into a real top-level championship striker now. Um, yeah, because I, I think the one criticism people have had of Dykes is a little bit that, yeah, he does work hard, but does he get in the right positions? That right there is like a proper indicator of how much he's improved in the year or so that he's been with us because that's a great run. Willock's found him and obviously he's taken it around the keeper and scored. So um, props to Lyndon. I think he's turning into a really, really serious player. Yeah, um, it was actually, I mean, it, it was a fantastic moment and I've, looked back on the photos from the game I've managed to find myself in a few looking I, I mean I, I've, it looks like I'm it's all that release of energy of just seeing utter dri drivel from QPR for most of the game just to sort of think okay we've got a chance here um, and then obviously we throw it away again uh, so it goes to 2-1 and I think quite a lot of people were looking around trying to find Adrissa Silla at this point um, so Dan over to you for analysis on this particular moment of rubbish. On the set, on the second goal. Second goal, yeah. Well, yeah, I did. I, I wrote a piece stupidly having to watch back the game, um, and they they create a turnover from um, our attack, and I think they Harrison Reed shifts the ball over to to Robinson. There's a there's a photo on the piece. Obviously, I can't show you show you now, but. Um, we decide to sit in with a back five. Then we have, I think it's four left up top, all lopsided to the left. And I think Johansson's um, on the far left of the midfield. So Robinson has the entire pitch to let up the left-hand side to, to just drift and drive. And I think Austin, obviously, who doesn't really have the legs to, to catch up to someone as quick as that. And then from there on, they managed to 
he manages to drag space, um, find a ball to Naiskin's Cabana, who whips in a ball and, and beats uh, Geordie Device in the air. It was a really simple goal, goal for Fulham, and one that uh, it just mesmerised me how bad we were in our structure. And uh, I want a definitive answer on this from both of you. Yes or no, no explanations. Was Geordie Device fouled in the build-up to no. this goal? Micah? What did Dan say? I said no. I'm going to look biased. I thought he was in the moment. I I, I didn't really... Um, it's very hard to tell from the away end, but I, I haven't looked at it. I think that we're clutching at straws. No one appealed. No, no one appealed. Yeah. We, we didn't... We, it doesn't... I appealed. I <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I just think... Um, He's too soft there, isn't he? He needs to be... He's one of the biggest players on the pitch, if not the biggest. And uh, we've mentioned in the past how scary-looking he is as a player. Um, I certainly want to, wouldn't want to bump into him down a dark alley. Um, he's got to do better against Mitrovic. Uh, he just has to. You can't be duck going down that easily. You're never going to win anything. That referee was giving us nothing all game. So, yeah. Um, moving on to the third... I seem to remember that this one was a rather l- nice ball through for, was it Cabano to score? No, Bobby Reed. Bobby Reed, sorry. Yes. Yeah, Bobby Reed. This, you know, was incredibly frustrating at the time, but looking at it, it's actually good football again from Fulham. It, it's a good goal, but it's still, it's still ridiculously frustrating. I mean, the, 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 the structure again, I think we're sitting in like a, a four four one one, but then the gap between I think it was Dunn Device and Johansson and McCallum left like a big pathway for the run, and then no one no one presses Seri, and I mean Seri all game his best his best attribute is is his passing, and he just put a ball straight through the through the gap for Reed to run onto, and I mean I don't think Dieng could do anything about it. I don't know about what anyone else has to say, but I mean they they've opened us up in one pass. And that, that's that's all that really, really have to. Yeah, I don't think we can be um, yeah, looking at the there. Sorry, Michael. Go yeah, it, it, yeah. No, I was going to say the same. I think people, I think people were just, you know, again clutching at straws, going at Diang there. It's a great pass, but we've been completely cut open. Like any keeper in the world's going to have trouble with that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been. Um, below what he set the standards last season, in many people's opinions, I'd say. But he had quite a lot to do at the weekend. And, you know, we've set, we've seen in the past, actually, that we the amount of shots that we concede, the fact that he kept quite a few goals out last season means it was probably overperforming, really. Um, whatever he's going through right now, it was a lack, I don't want to say lack of confidence, but he isn't playing in the exact same way. And, I, you know... I don't think that's entirely unrelated to the return of fans, specifically our home fans, because um, we love to get on the back of a goalkeeper. Um, but yeah, like when you just keep on allowing shots to come in, goalkeepers are going to concede eventually. Um, fourth goal, I mean, this is just like salt in the wounds. We didn't, I'm not going to say we didn't deserve to lose 4-1 because we absolutely did, but this is just one of the most frustrating goals because of the, the massive deflection. Um, I mean, what have you got anything else to say about it at this point? Um, I mean, he's allowed to cut inside from the left-hand channel all the way in on his left, on his left foot to, to hit on his right. So I think it was Odebadjo was tracking at the time. Maybe you could criticise him, I don't know. But it's just it, the whole the whole game was epitomised by the fact that we let them have space and now and they just exploited it and that's that's really what happened in the fourth goal. Yeah, um, we just don't press, do we? Like, no, nope. we just don't do it, and it's infuriating because especially against teams like Fulham, we just invite so much pressure onto us, and then it gets to a certain point just outside the the penalty box, and you go, oh yeah, now we'll now we'll actually try and close them down but even then it's not that effective and it's not quick enough um and you know I've mentioned already how we sacrificed what little control we had in midfield 
how is Johansson meant to be everywhere at once? You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, and Dan said it plenty of times that we just don't press at all. And we would be a lot better for it if we would just put a little bit of pressure on uh, the opposition instead of just let them pass through us, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of... Um, can I just, sorry, can I just say one that. more thing, Alex? Yeah, go ahead. Right. It's, it's on the zonal mark, the marking on corners. I think it was in the first half particularly. I just, I don't, I don't get it anymore. I mean, I, I think I wrote a piece about Reading and that was when we, I think we conceded a few goals from zonal marking set pieces as well. But it just doesn't work. I've just not seen a, I've not seen an instance where it works. We can't track runners from it. We don't, we don't pick up, um, we don't pick up the loose balls. We don't, we don't do anything. I don't, I don't know what you guys think, but it's just, I think we just go back to basics and do man to man. I'm always been a man to man sort of option. I don't, I don't like zonal. It doesn't, especially for corners. If you're marking an area, how are you meant to sort of build up ahead of steam and get up and win a ball back? Just um, someone's. I've never like, never liked zonal marking <clears throat> because for me, all it takes with zonal marking, all it takes is one guy to get his job wrong, and then the whole back line is just messed up. Whole, we nearly sorry. conceded, didn't we? We nearly conceded from Mitrovic. Just peeled off the line, yeah. and got in between and headed it in. Yeah, was that at the yeah. front post? Yeah, yeah. In between yeah. Oda Badger was on the front post, Dickie I mean, it, uh, and yeah. McCallum with marking. It just wasn't, space. you know, it just allows space for the smarter forwards to run into, doesn't it? Um, so a bit of a broader question if we're going to take a few lessons from Fulham, what is it that we've learned about um, the way we're playing, how we need to improve against teams like Fulham, West Brom, Bournemouth in the future? Because those are the teams that we've struggled against at points. Um, what, what, can, what can we learn from last Saturday? Um, well, I mean, the ones you listed off are the games, Fulham, West Brom, Bournemouth. The one difference between all these sides and us is the press. We can play with the ball. We could, we've got the ability to beat anyone with, with our, our style. But West Brom counter pressed, Fulham um, pressed, Bournemouth pressed us and forced us into errors. It's the one. It's the one big difference, and I don't know what what it takes for us to be able to do it, whether it's stubbornness or not. But that's for me the one big difference between the three sides and us. Micah, what what were you taking away from Fulham at the weekend? Yeah, it's a depressing thing. It's a depressing thing. I mean, I don't want to get too big picture, but, you know, it does make me wonder if maybe we are ready to go up just yet because, you know, you have to have an organised press in the Premier League nowadays. You can't get away with football as it was 10, 15 years ago in the Premier League. You have to be able to press well. Um, I just wonder if we have the personnel to be pressing. I know at the minute, you know, a press is better than no press, which is what we're doing at the moment. But I, I wonder if we we have the personnel to aggressively press for ninety minutes the way that Bournemouth and Fulham do. Um, I'm sure that's something the club will probably look to address in the summer, especially if we don't go up. I imagine we'll lose um, Dicky or Chair or both. Um, but that that's that's one thing that's been sitting with me not just from the Fulham game, but the West Brom game and the Bournemouth game as well. It's like, do, do we have that? We Great, great ball-playing team, great with the ball at our feet, but do we have that kind of aggression to press for 90 minutes? I'm not quite sure that we have that in our team, not the whole way through it. I mean, we certainly don't have it if, for example, like at the weekend, we start Austin, and it is going to happen again throughout the season because... Uh, you know, we just have the three strikers and they'll want to rotate and stuff like that. But uh, unfortunately, Austin doesn't have the legs to press for a full 90 minutes. Um, so especially if Austin's on the pitch, Dykes presses a bit, like, but he does it by himself. And you saw that against Blackburn at times. He puts a lot of effort in and it can just look like, you know, aimless running because uh, he's just doing it by himself. In that, in both situations, Willock and Chair, as the next more advanced players, have got to get involved a bit more in the press and try and actually win the ball up uh, back higher up the pitch. Um, 
with these games against uh, like Fulham and the, the other two top sides, do you think we need to look at maybe a change in formation, or or should we just, you know, look at, or maybe at least tweaking the formation, sacrificing one of Willock or Chair to have an additional midfielder, so that we have a little bit of more protection. Um, maybe, maybe I don't. I don't know. I think I think our system was suited to Fulham. I mean, I think we spoke about this on last week's pod about some of the teams that they've struggled with, but specifically played our system and they just they pressed them in the central areas. But I don't know. I think adaptability has always been something that we've been like a week in. If that makes sense, we've always had this. Um, this idea that Warburton's quite stubborn. Well, since the um, since I think it was last December when he was um, when some people were calling for him to be uh, sacked. So I don't know. I don't think we will change our system though. That's the thing. I think I, d- I don't know what we what we're gonna do really. But um, something does need to be done at least defensively. Yeah. Um, and just one last thing before we move on. Um, Ball had probably one of his worst performances of the season against Fulham. He was obviously sort of hamstrung by getting a yellow card so early on. I would probably say he deserved a talking to from the referee first before getting the yellow card. It was literally within the first couple of minutes and he's already bringing out the yellow. And if you do that, you've got to be fair to both sides. So when someone like Harrison Reed does that to one of our players, minutes later, it's got to be a yellow card as well, but it wasn't. Um, so, you know, Field is making a slow return uh, from injury. Is there a lot of pressure on him already? Because, you know, Ball has deserved his place inside of his performances so far this season. But are we looking, are we getting to the point where perhaps we need another option there? Would you consider Amos instead of Ball and play Amos alongside Johansson? Or is, it, is that, again, too attacking, you know, or, you know, is there going to be a lot of pressure on field as soon as he comes back to perform like he did against Brentford, for example, last season? I think with or without Don Ball's performance on Saturday, I think the pressure would have been on him just off the fact that, like you said, Amos is back now and Field's coming back. So that's really, I mean, Johansson up until this point has been pretty much undroppable. So that's really three centre midfielders fighting for one spot. Um, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I think with Sam Field, we've got a little bit to the point of, I can't remember what lawful words used to call it, but it's that thing where, um, do you remember a couple of years ago when um, Daniel Sturridge was like injured for Liverpool after they lost Suarez? And like in the time that Daniel Sturridge was out, Liverpool fans turned him into like some unbelievable player. Like when he comes back, we're going to be challenging for the title again. And that's not to knock Daniel Sturridge because I think he was a great player who could have had a great career that was hampered by injuries. I think a lot of the time when a player's been out for so long, we build this idea up of them in our head of being like the the saviour to the team. And we're getting to that point a little bit with Sam Field, I worry. Um, I personally think he would improve the team a little bit just off the fact that I think he's a little bit better with the ball at his feet than Don Ball. Um, but you've got to think about the fact that was it was it an Achilles injury? I can't remember what the injury was. Mm. He's, he's, he's not going to be back to his best straight away. It's going to take some weeks of him settling in. So everybody just needs to temper their expectations a little bit with field. I think Amos is the one that maybe we need to start looking at now and thinking, you know, are you going to be able to step up? Are you going to come in and like give Warburton something to really think about? Because he's got some minutes under his belt now and he is looking all right. But can he sort of go to that next level for us now? I think if the pressure's on anybody, it's probably on Amos. Really. I think actually we saw a little bit of that um, build-up of a player with Amos and his return to injury. You saw people sort of calling him to start games and stuff like that. And you think... Yeah. Hold on, a year ago, you would have said he was the worst player on this planet. And he, he didn't... I think the thing that I always found frustrating about him was that, you know, he had this uncanny ability to let games just pass him by. Um, and his recent showings have been a lot better. And I've 
God, I hope I wish the best for him because he's another one of these lads who obviously is a decent bloke, but has had such an unfortunate time of injury. He's not going to be the savior to our season, and I doubt that Field is either. And it's like you said, it's just this interesting thing where people just build him up. I saw a really good conversation about on Twitter about Naby Keita last night. And, you know, he scored that fantastic goal against Atletico Madrid. But people were saying that his, you know, his physical presence was off because he's had quite a few injuries as well, hasn't he? Yeah. And, he, you know, it takes some time to come back to uh, your sort of full fitness. Um, Loftus, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, isn't it? Yeah, he is another example of that. He's a massive guy and he's not anywhere near the player he was prior to his uh, injury. So, you know, Field will be slowly edged back into the team. Um, but yeah, probably right there with Amos. He's probably the one we need to be looking at. Um, Dan, last thoughts before we move on? Um, no, well, I mean, I just agree with what Micah said. I mean, I'm, I've am i been happy with Paul as it is, apart from, apart from the Fulham performance. I don't think he um, he's done much wrong all season. Uh, and the amount of times on QPR Twitter that I've seen... Uh, We've missed Sam Sam Field going around. You can't even count it on your fingers anymore. Um, yeah, I just think. Yeah, I, I I don't know how people expect Sam Field to to change our defensive issues massively. It's not ball's not the issue. It's, it, otherwise he wouldn't be in the side. So yeah, no, I, I agree with Michael what he said earlier. So moving on from the disappointment of uh, Saturday away. We moved to Blackburn at home. It was a better performance, though, to be honest. Anything would have been... Micah, what was your thoughts, of your general thoughts of the whole game? I thought the first half looked very much like a mid-table championship clash. I think we looked quite tired. It was a bit sloppy at times, a little bit sluggish. Blackburn, clearly, I think Tony Mowbray said it after the game as well, they showed up just to frustrate us and try and nick a 1-0. It was pretty clear from the first throwing of the game when they were like gingerly walking over and taking their time. It was, I, it was ridiculous, some of the time wasting. It was quite embarrassing. Um, but first half looked like a mid-table championship clash. Second half felt like a classic... QPR game of about a year ago where we'd be all over a team but it would be like oh my god are we actually going to score and oh my god are they going to go and score at the end but again it's the growth of the team it's the growth of Ilya's chair you know we just needed one moment score a goal I absolutely have no idea how he's managed to sort of find that space to get a shot off but he's done it um and it just it just shows how far we've come under Warburton, in my opinion. You know, you got the you got the two sides of Mark Warburton. I feel like Saturday and Tuesday, you know, an absolute spanking away away from home at Fulham, and then we've managed to sort of put in a very sort of professional one 0 at home to Blackburn. So I'm I'm happy with it, definitely. Well, interesting to say there, you got two different sides of Warburton because I don't think he really managed either game that differently. You know, he made very similar subs. Um, it's just that in the game last night, things essentially went our way a little bit more. We Blackburn never turned up to act like you said; they were just there to frustrate. They never turned up to actually compete against us. So, like, I get what you're saying, but like, it's kind of this comes back to this stubbornness again. Like he's, Fair enough. He's, he's, I just think like it's very similar in the way, like, I, again, when he brought off uh, Ball and just left the one midfielder there, I thought, no, let's not repeat that again because I hated that on Friday, on a Saturday. And I guess it kind of worked a couple of times in lockdown football, but it's different now with the fans back. And uh, there was a lot of people getting a little bit frustrated last night. Um, I guess I suppose the difference between that change on Saturday versus that change on Tuesday was that we were never in control of the game at Fulham, whereas we were in control from minute one at Blackburn. So I, I suppose that would be the only difference. But I, I think you're probably right, actually. 
really. It was kind of pretty much the same decision, almost exactly the same selection as well. The thing is with um, this game is that the first half was so... It was quite dull. And it was a bit like, like you said, of QPR a couple of years ago where we'd have a lot of the ball, would pass the ball around, but never actually get anywhere with it. Um, Dan, what, what do you think of uh, the Zell and Ball as a partnership? Because we've already talked about the need for Pats for field when he comes back, but the Zell specifically last night, what do you think? Um, I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, Johansson wasn't um, available, and that it seemed like the best um, replacement man for man because obviously Dazelle's got that creativity. Oh, that playmaking ability. So I don't, I don't mind it at all. Um, yeah, I, I quite, I quite like it. In fact, um, it's a bit different to having like a a, a pivot of um, Amos and Ball because that's probably more energy based, more combativeness in the midfield. But I think Dazelle gives you that control and he can dictate the tempo of the game. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of his performance last night, Micah? Because he kind of. I thought he started off really well and looked quite positive and he tried to do a few attacking passes, but then kind of dropped off perhaps a little bit. Yeah, I think for me, the thing with Dazao is that I think the game suits him a bit more when the tempo is a bit lower and he's able to kind of just sort of keep us ticking at a low tempo. I think, and my dad was saying this as well last night, we looked a lot better when we were moving the ball forward just a little bit quicker. Not so much going direct, but moving it just a little bit quicker. I don't think that particularly suits him. He's somebody that I think quite likes having the ball at his feet, having the time to sort of make the right pass or play a one-two, which is why I think, I think was it Amos that came on for Dazelle? I think when Amos came on, we looked a little bit better because Amos, just, just in that particular moment, just for what that game needed, we looked a little bit better just because I think Amos is somebody that doesn't really tend to, not that Dazel overthinks, but he doesn't really tend to overthink his passes. He kind of is sort of very instinctive with uh, Amos, his short passing. So, um, I, I don't know. I still think, I still think there's something more we can get out of Dozel that we're not seeing yet. I don't know if anybody else gets that feeling, but I just feel like there's a really, really, really good player in there. We just we can just squeeze a little bit more out of them that we're not getting at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. He kind of, there wasn't quite um, an intensity there from him. I don't know if that's unfair, but like when Amos came on, there was something about him that just... Uh, <laughs> caused a little bit more in that midfield. Um, and I think he played okay, Dazelle. I don't I wouldn't get um you know I wouldn't write him off completely. Like you said, there's clearly a good player in there because he played exceptionally well against Everton um yeah. and has shown very good uh, signs in the past. And I'm sure he'll probably get another chance probably against Sunderland next week in fact. Um but if we're going to talk about energy, getting the crowd excited, then you got to talk about the undisputed man of the match because yeah. Albert Adoma put on a clinic <laughs> in that second half on how to play as an attacking right wing back. Um, what a performance. What, what, do you know what? I saw somebody tweet it. It might, I can't remember who it was that tweeted it, but he said Albert Adoma brought FIFA Street back last night. <laughs> I saw you like that. It was like he did the got he did God's work or something like that, didn't he? Brought feet yeah, he was. Back. Oh my goodness, he was just out there having a good time. It's like he didn't even care about the final score. It's like he was just out there playing a five-a-side game with his mates, just having a laugh. He was so good last night. Bereton Diaz is going to be literally awake with cold sweats for the next three nights, thinking about the amount of times he got turned inside out. On that right-hand side, it was insane. It was insane, honestly. Yeah, it was apps. It was um, it was exactly what was needed, really, because he wasn't. He didn't feature that much in the first half. Come back out in the second half, and again, it was just a little bit boring. And he just got the crowds going a little bit. And then once the crowd got going, we started to develop a little bit more in our play. And he 
like you said, he turned Diaz inside out so many times. He had the beating of players for it, for pace, for pace alone. Like the guy is at the end of his career and he's still skinning players. It was absolutely beautiful to watch. And his, his joy when we scored the goal, he was running over and, you know, just celebrating like he scored himself. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, and sometimes I guess you just need that. And like you said, it was like he was playing with his mates and he's play, he's really, he's realising all our dreams. You know, none of us are as, obviously as good as Adoma. But he, he, when you watch someone like that who loves the club as much as you do, it's just nice, isn't it? You just get a warm, cosy feeling. Um, I guess, you know, like Adoma, he was fantastic, but I think you've already mentioned him there, Mike. Uh, uh, the, the, little, the little one, Le Petit, I think I've seen Dieng call him on Instagram chair with another moment of brilliance, like very similar to the Birmingham game, it was a bit dull. And then Chair thought, ah, oh, you know what? I'll just drag us through myself, you know? Why not? Dan, what do you think of the goal? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I saw the video um, after the game and it was... So Dickie, Dickie was running, uh, driving to space and it was just the movement. It was just the movement from um, from Chair that, that blew me away, really, to create to create something out of nothing, just to pull, pull behind um, one of the Blackburn midfielders and then drive into the central area, drop a shoulder and then curl it into the to the back of the net without the keeper hesitating. Now it was a great bit of movement and to create to create something out of nothing. I mean the keeper's done for the the pace on the ball, isn't he? Because it curls back towards the keeper. And I thought actually as much as it could finish and whatever, I thought the keeper could have actually gone for it. <laughs> like he might have got something on it. I don't know. Because it just it, but it just went so quickly into the back of the net when I saw it from where, where I was sitting, I thought that has to be in the corner because no way the keeper is just going to stand there and watch that go in. Um, but yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, Micah, you said so much about chair already this season, but if you've got anything else to say. <laughs> Listen, go back to any of like the last three pods I've been on and you will know how much I love Ilias chair. I think for me at this point, I'm happy for him that he's kind of sort of writing his own kind of story with that number 10 shirt. Because, you know, everybody, if you think of everybody's most like fondest number 10s, they've all kind of written their own story and they've all had their, their moments of magic. And I think at a minute, chair is just like for, for the kids. I remember being like, I don't know like seven, eight when Kevin Gallen had the 10 shirt and then when Tarapt had it, I remember just being like, wow. And now the kids, they've had Eze and now they've got Chair, who's just week after week producing these moments and just showing us what a great player he is. So that is that is all the Ilias Chair prop I'm going to do this week. I'm sure I'll be back for more next week. I was actually very happy that he managed to get the winning goal because just before that, he there was a moment where he broke up the pitch and he kind of cut back and stopped the counter a little bit. Um, and you know, like if he didn't score that goal, then I know what he, the um, everyone would have been saying about him holding it onto the ball just too long. Um, but it's that when he gets into that little, it's, it's just space in front of the box, he is so effective from that range. You've seen it when he scored goals for Stevenage, you saw it last night, and you see it with the play that he just does with Willock in and around the box. It's so quick, it's fantastic at times, and no one can really live it when he actually gets going. Um, so that last sort of thoughts on Blackburn, it was an improvement on Fulham, anything was, but you know, it's just good that we've gotten over that difficult defeat at the weekend they looked a bit bruised but you know it's a good thing isn't it that we've managed to grind out that win because it just gets a little bit of confidence back right no it is um yeah I mean the three points is the most important thing despite um how how leggy or bruised we looked um yeah that's that's the most important thing the one thing I would say is I think Blackburn didn't even have a shot in our box they had like five outside the outside the area, so I'd be skeptical about how we kind of view view our clean sheet from 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 Tuesday night. 
So that's that's the one thing I'd say. I don't think I don't think we've improved defensively dramatically because we got a clean sheet. But yeah, it was a good good one in the end. Yeah, Blackburn never really threatened us, but glad to get those three points. Uh, we're going to move on to Peterborough now and then on to Sunderland because uh, Mike has just had to turn on his car to keep his phone charged. So we don't want him <laughs> running out of fuel and like not being able to go to work tomorrow. So um, Peterborough, what do we know about them? They're struggling at the bottom of the table. What can we expect from them this Saturday? Um, a leaky defence. Um, <laughs> e- even even leakier than ours. Um, really? Yeah, the only yeah, one was... leakier than ours, I think. If stats to be believed, I don't. I know they're the worst. I think we're the third worst in the league at the minute, so we've got a bit of a, a bit of leeway. But um, I think they've conceded twenty five so far, which is and only, they still got to play tonight against yeah, Hull. That that's there's only five more than us. Yeah, um, they don't have Clark um, Johnson, Clark Harris for the game against us. Um, he's facing his last last suspension, so that's something to. Well, of an, of an advantage to us. Um, I had a look and they've changed their system five times in the last seven games. Now, that doesn't scream consistency to me. And I'd be slightly concerned as a Peterborough fan that you're constantly changing your system every game to either facilitate players or to, to try and to get try and get a win. So it doesn't it looks quite of a, a bleak, a bleak time for a, to be a Peterborough fan at the minute. Um they're quite they're quite similar to us. They want the ball. They're quite a high risk, high reward um style. But the only thing they don't really have is that perhaps this is to do with the quality of players, but they're they're not really creating big chances. They're just, they're quite they're quite poor chances at the minute. So I don't think they're gonna threaten or they shouldn't threaten us a huge amounts in, in our own box, hopefully. Yeah, uh Clark Harris actually only two goals and 10 appearances. So he, I know he had a great year last year, but not quite following in the trend of Ivan Tony coming from Peterborough into the championship and doing really well. Um, yeah. I, they are, I think everyone, they were probably everyone's favourite apart from Derby to get relegated. I imagine, you know, they've yo-yoed about a few times and quite off and just gone straight back down, I think. Um, so, I'm not really, I don't want to write them off, but I'm not expecting just too much from them. They've beaten, they're just two wins so far. Both have come at home against Birmingham and then against Derby earlier on in the season as well. Michael, what what do you want to see us do against Peterborough to sort of comprehensively get the win? Uh, I really just want to see us control the game. <laughs> I would take a, a nice straightforward 2-0, honestly. I think... Let's just, please, no silly mistakes, nothing ridiculous. Let's just play our game, be compact at the back, score when we need to score, and just control the game. Johansson's suspension is over, isn't it? I believe. Yeah. On Saturday. Yeah. Be interesting to see whether he goes with Johansson or Dozo. I imagine he'll probably go back to Johansson. But I I just want to see a complete comprehensive Rangers performance which almost never happens it seems like um, yeah so you've linked it perfectly into that uh, my next question would you keep the side the same uh, or just one change Hanson for Dazelle Dan you can go first on this um, yes yeah I, I, I would I would um, I mean I didn't watch the Blackburn game and I heard about how good Adoma was. I'm just wondering whether everyone's saying Adoma should start, but I'm I'm a bit sceptical. Will Warburton start Adoma rather than... I, I think obviously Adoma merits it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what Warburton will do because he, he clearly favours all the Badger. So. Quick question. Sorry, really quick question. Is Odebajo injured or was he just like dropped completely last night? think he's been dropped completely because he probably he needed to be taken out the firing line a little bit yeah you reckon he was dropped not rested well it's a, it's a drop isn't it it's not a rest he didn't play well yeah the weekend it's definitely a drop <laughs> yeah it depends how well you play whether it's a drop or a rest yeah, yeah. 
don't know. I don't know then. I imagine maybe maybe we'll go with a dome then on Saturday. With that um, in mind. Whilst we're on the topic of a dome, um, you know, we've got Sunderland coming the week afterwards, and he's now obviously everyone's favourite. But if you look at our fixtures, obviously Saturday Peterborough, Tuesday Sunderland, then it's Friday for Nottingham Forest. So do we really think Adoma, who played over 80 minutes, I think, is he going to be able to do that Tuesday and Friday? Or is one of them he going to have to be rested for? You have to be rested for one. Yeah. So, it's all about Warburton and sports science. We know, we know, um, we know he's um, keen on his sports science and resting players and giving them X amount of minutes and taking them off, stuff like that. So uh, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be managed. Um, I think we'll get a clearer picture once we play Peterborough in terms of what his kind of like role is. Whether it's he's going to play both league games, rest in the cup, or potentially play the cup and rest, rest in both both league games. But um, I think it's quite hard to say right now. But yeah, I think we'll get a bit clearer picture after Peterborough. Okay, and uh, just finally, let's touch on Sunderland a little bit. This is actually quite a big game for us, isn't it? Because I didn't have time to go through all our history with the cup competitions, but I can't imagine. You know, we got to the League Cup final in the eighties. And then we were in the FA Cup final in the same decade. But this would probably be the first time, if we win against Sunderland, that we'd have got into the quarterfinals of a competition in quite a few years, I imagine. Uh, I certainly can't remember anything in my lifetime like this. So, firstly, how excited actually are you both to be in this position? I actually know the last time we were in the fifth round. The last time we were in the fifth round, we played Man United at Old Trafford. Yeah, I know, yeah, this. Okay. Yeah, I know this because my dad took me out of school early to drive me up to Manchester and watch the game. So, Dad, if you're listening to this, thank you for taking me out of school. I appreciate it very much. So, when was the last time we were in the quarterfinal? That's the question that I really want answered. I have got a clue. <laughs> if it... I probably wasn't even alive. <laughs> I, I the last time it. we was it the last time we won it? Possibly. No, no we've we been to a fight. We got to the final in the eighties, didn't we? Yeah, League we got Cup. to FA Cup final and League Cup final. Um, so yeah, this is an incredible opportunity to make the quarterfinal cup. So no brainer, full strength side. Yeah, uh, you think you think so? Again, it it, it really it really just depends, doesn't it? Um, it's probably our best chance at a, a proper, like a long cut run for, well, it is for a while. So you'd, you'd think to go f- um, for a full strength side, but with the fixture congestion, Warburton's already moaned about it about three times in the last last week. So I think he's going to be he's going to be using his squad regardless. Um, I imagine it'll be three at least three quarter, like full strength side, but. Um, whether he goes for the full full side, I don't know. Just before um, uh, Mike, are you saying anything about this? Looking at the side that he put out against Everton, it was Dieng, Dickey, Dunn, Barbe, Adoma, Dazel, Ball, McCallum, Chair, Austin, and Willock. You'd probably say at the time that maybe three or four players there probably weren't first choice Dazel, Adoma, Dunn, and Austin. I would probably. You know whether Doma is first choice now, whether Dunn's first choice. That's a debate to be had. But um, what what do you want to see team wise, Micah? Um, what I want to see versus what I want to get. <laughs> I I imagine Warburton will go strong, but not full strength. If you know what I mean. So something similar to the Everton lineup. Um, It'll be interesting to see now because I thought I did. I forgot to mention when we were talking about the Blackburn game. I thought Jimmy Dunn was excellent last night. So it'll be interesting to see now whether Dunn becomes that third centre back or whether he's going to go back to Tristan Davies. Um, I imagine whichever one of those two that he's not picking at the time will play against Sunderland. Um, I, I just think this is the best depth we've had at QPR for a long time. So I'm not particularly worried if it's 
weakened or slightly weakened. Just as long as I think we have Chair and Willock and stuff, I think we'll be all right. Um, so let's move on to like let Sunderland themselves. Uh, we kind of you know we want a full strength side from ourselves, and I think most people will still be quite familiar with Sunderland, mainly probably due to their. Uh, Netflix documentary Sunderland Till I Die which is obviously fantastic entertainment um, unless you're a Sunderland fan I guess um, and they're going quite well this season at the right end of League One second in the league they've got two games in hand over Plymouth who if you haven't seen it scored a fantastic goal last night in a swimming pool um, so Sunderland uh, 2018-19 lost the playoff final to Charlton and lost the EFL trophy final to Portsmouth from penalties. And then in the 2020-21 season, they won the EFL uh, trophy, but failed again in the playoff semi-finals against Lincoln City. So they've you know made a much better start of it this time round. Obviously, the big club down in League One. What can we expect from them? Um, a team full of confidence, really. Um, they're going to be up for it. Um, they they seem to be well. I'm I've been informed they're they're on the up under um, Johnson. Um, probably their best side since um, since they got relegated. Uh, they've got well. They've still got um, the likes of Aidan McGeady uh, still in the ranks. Actually, can I just <laughs> say something quickly about McGeady because I was having a look. Uh, Last year he was on eighteen thousand pounds a week, and he signed. Oh yeah, he's he, he'd still be on loads for League he's One. He's on yeah, nineteen, he's, he's... I believe, this year, yeah. which is ridiculous. Because all the if you look at all the other wages for League One, the only club teams, uh, only players that come close to that are players on loan from like Man City and stuff like that from the youth teams. So the oh, fact that yeah, he's he still there, they've somehow managed to, you know, that's not. I mean, I guess it is within it, fair play rules or whatever, but it just seems ridiculous. I'd imagine I'd imagine Sunderland's wage budget is probably bigger than at least five other championship sides down the lower end. It's probably it wouldn't surprise me. But um yeah, back to what I was what I was told by one of my mates who's a Sunderland fan, um, poor bloke. Um they they have an emphasis of uh building out from the back a bit like us. Um so that could be something to watch out for. And they'd like to they like to create chances uh, in behind. Um, I've already said about Ada McGeady being one of their threats. Also, their centre forward, uh, Ross Ross Stewart, I think it is. Yeah, Ross Stewart, the um, Scottish striker. Alex, you might know a little bit about. Um, he's got quite good uh, good movement for a six foot five build. Um, so he he again looks probably their their main attacking or well, central threat at least. And then two other players I've been informed about as, as their key threats is a young Dan Neal from their academy, uh, quite a tidy, tidy midfielder uh, pulling the strings. And their keeper, Hoffman, who they got from Bayern Munich on loan. I think they call him the, the League One Neuer or something like that. Apparently he's quite quite good for, good for their level. Um, so, yeah, that's all I've got on Sunderland. <laughs> Yeah, I had a look at their highlights from a couple of games and they do play some quite nice football. Um, I think spe- specifically against Tranmere or are they League, league Two? I don't know. There was a there was a team they played really well against and there was a they scored four or something like that and they really did play some nice football. Um, but Ross Stewart does look like a handful. Whether he'll start in the cup, I'm not sure. But I would imagine that Sunderland have just as much interest in going for this as we do. Um, that's the that's the sorry that was the one thing that um, I should have said. My mate was telling me that they've got, I think it's Rotherham and Sheffield United in between, which are probably two tough games on paper um, in the league, which is their priority. So he may rotate it. Well, whatever happens, Stewart looks like a right handful. Nine goals so far this season, and he is massive. Not in width but in height the guy is so lanky <laughs> he he looks like a proper good player at that level uh they've also got alex pritchard haven't they who was not that long ago linked with us but you know 14 appearances no goals one assist in league one they dodged a bullet there i believe um 
so with that, I think, uh, have you got anything else to touch on, Sunderland? Because we've... I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's quite a lot of hype around a young centre-back from Man City called Callum Doyle. Um, I think he's in the England under-17s, 18s. So he might be one to look out for. And then they've also got that Dennis Serkin from Tottenham. They brought on a permanent. He's quite a good, good left back at that um, at that level. But that's that's about it, really. Okay, and I think we'll give you the last word then. So um, can I just have two predictions for you? We did. We, fe- we forgot to do it for Fulham. Um, and I'd, I'd have said a defeat anyway. So <laughs> I'm glad we kept that hidden. Probably um, guessed as well by the relative silence from Mike is that he's actually had to disappear. So we're not going to get Mike's predictions this time round. But Dan, if you could give me Peterborough first, followed by Sunderland. Um, I'll go three-one Peterborough. Three-one. So three-one yeah. two Peterborough. No, 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 no. Sorry, three-one to us. No, I don't have any confidence in us keeping a clean sheet. But three-one to us, yeah. Cool. And then Sunderland. Oh, I'm going to say 2-1 to us. Yeah, I'll give you 2-1 and I'm going 3-0 at Peterborough. So uh, with that, this has been a pretty bumper podcast, to be honest, and it's been a little bit depressing at times, but hopefully you've enjoyed it and good luck to everyone going to Peterborough at the weekend. Seems like half of the QPR support seems to be going up there. So yeah, enjoy that day out. Hopefully, Sunderland will give us the win. <laughs> no, not to be too uh, whatever. I just want to get through to the next round of the cup. It'd be absolutely unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Please follow our generation on Twitter. Follow us on Spotify, whatever. And uh, both me and Dan can be found on Twitter as well if you want to. Just, you know, add some for people to your followers list. Um, we might follow you back. Okay, thanks for listening. Come on, you ours. <laughs>